Welcome to Faith and Science. I'm Dr. John Ashton. Sometimes uh, people can view the Genesis account of Eden as being, you know, un- unrealistic. How could there be this, you know, perfect world? And, and particularly without um, death, we know that... Um, Sin came later in the in the garden when Eve was tricked in by Satan into eating the uh, the fruit that she shouldn't have eaten, and we know that uh, decay started then in um, in Eden and things started going going wrong, and so um, up to that time, what what were the conditions? And uh, I remember. Um, a microbiologist talking to me one time. Um, this uh, person was a lecturer at a um, at a Christian uh, college of advanced education, and uh, the, some students were asking, "Well, you know, in 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 Eden, did you know people um, do poos? Did they defecate?" Um, you know, what are some of the issues? What about bacteria? When you ate, you ate something, were the bacteria and the bacteria would die and, and, and so forth. Of course, we need to remember that the, the, uh, the death and the, the sin referred mainly to uh, creatures that breathed, that had the, the breath of uh, life in them and, um, and blood circulating and so forth. And so I've read, again, some um, detailed arguments, things like insects and, and these sort of things that would reproduce very quickly. Um, and they more or less served like, you know, little, little robots that kept the, the system going. And I guess there are questions like that that we... Uh, don't uh, know and uh, don't understand, but um, it would seem, you know, very unreasonable that, uh, well, very reasonable, I should say, that, yeah, sure, bacteria were involved, they reproduced, served a purpose, and um, and then was sort of recycled, these, these little um, single-cells-type uh, organisms. But these are some of the questions that, of course, that we... We, that we deal with when we look at the, the nature of uh, sin and so forth, it, it really seems to relate in, in particular to, to the mind. And of course, God created humans to have that relationship with him. So we have minds that really God can, can speak to through the Holy Spirit and can impress our thoughts and... Um, God wants to, you know, communicate with us, and of course, there are many accounts in the Bible and and outside the Bible too by Christians and believers of uh, encounters with angels and and uh, and so forth. So the the concept of the mind is is very important, and so we live in this physical world where the obviously if we ate fruit in Eden, if we ate the, the tree, then at some stage that fruit was alive, but we, we ate the, the, t- the material in there and the sugars become part of us. So there was a, a whole system that obviously was, you know, outside this concept of, of, of death. Now, well, this uh, reminded me 
in terms of um, the issue with, you know, were there bacteria in Eden? Did bacteria die in, in Eden? Uh, just recently I uh, was published a report of the microbiome of apples. Now, I was really surprised to read this, and it's um, apparently this is the first time that uh, the microbiome of apples had been studied. In, in fact, I must admit, I wouldn't have thought that apples would have had a microbiome. Now, the microbiome uh, consists of the populations of bacteria that live in us. And we know that these bacteria now play quite an important role in our health. We have a lot of different type of bacteria. They live in our, in our body. Of course, the main bacteria are down through our digestive system. But we have, of course, bacteria that live in our nose and our throat and in our ears and in all different parts of our body. And, of course, bacteria get into our, our blood and, and so forth as, as well. And the bacteria have lots of uh, different roles. They help in the breakdown of food. They also utilise some of the food that we eat and produce particular uh, chemical compounds that, again, affect um, our biochemistry and our health. And we know also that there is a, a connection between the bacterial response and the brain. So this is sort of the brain-gut axis, as it is called. So as we're learning a lot about this, um, the role that the microbiome plays in our health, it um, is becoming increasingly, uh, science is becoming more and more aware of the health uh, benefits that particular bacteria can, can give us. And also what we eat affects those uh, particular, um, the bacteria that are in us. And um, many years ago, um, Professor Herman Aldekreutz at uh, the University of Helsinki showed that vegetarians, people who had a plant-based diet, had quite different bacteria um, in their digestive tract to those people who ate a lot more animal products and dairy products. So there were different, you know, different bacteria survived. And this was back in the, in the 1980s, so quite a while ago now. He's one of the, the first to, to uh, uh, point this out and to point out that the bacteria that were associated with uh, eating animal products, for example, such as meats, were associated with the production of compounds that were um, associated with a higher risk of, of cancers, uh, particularly colon cancer. And these um, also some of these compounds switch on and off genes. And some of these, uh, these genes, genes are part of our DNA code. So we know that the bacteria produce compounds that, again, as I said, can switch on and off parts of the DNA code in cells and those um, codes can affect um, our susceptibility to, to cancer or abnormal cell growth. So the different foods that we eat affect our microbiome. Now one of the things I wouldn't have thought of though was do apples have a microbiome? And 
it turns out that they do. And one of the interesting things that came out of this study that was only uh, published, as I said, I read it last week. It uh, was just uh, published last uh, week prior to the uh, recording of this uh, program. The researchers found that the and the the study was done in uh, European countries that the apples that were the regular apples that were grown by regular farming methods had a particular microbiome that involved organisms that weren't very desirable from our perspective but apples that were grown organically had microbiomes where they were rich in the lactobacillus-type bacteria that were uh, bacteria associated with uh, many health benefits. And I found this was, this was quite fascinating. So the apples that were grown organically under natural conditions that weren't, didn't use sprays and inorganic fertilisers had different microbiomes to the apples that were grown where they were sprayed for pesticides and fungicides and used the conventional fertilisers, inorganic fertilisers. And I thought, wow, this is... um, reminded me that so often we have developed our technology to, to change nature rather than working with nature and understanding nature. And I think one of the... The reasons uh, why scientists have done that is this view that we can control nature. Nature has come about, in their view, by some sort of random processes. Therefore, we can improve things rather than looking at nature and saying, well, nature was developed by an absolutely amazing creator. Now, we can see the evidences of sin, but... We need to, if we look at for the evidence for design in nature, I believe that we will find so much evidence for this. I uh, did some research in this area uh, quite a few years ago, decades ago now, it would be, and um, uh, it was uh, published in a book called New Insights in Environmental Education. And one of the things that... Uh, looked for and noticed was that when we looked in nature, particularly from a health perspective, there seemed to be a blueprint for health in nature. And I think I mentioned some of these things in in previous um, arguments. For example, in summertime, the foods have higher levels of saturated fats compared to polyunsaturated fats. And it seems that the saturated fats seem to play a role in protecting us or reducing the uh, sun damage, for example, in the hot sunny climes. And um, in other places, for example, where we know that uh, fluoride is, is, is quite a, um, a toxic compound in, in, in many ways, um, and it seems that the the body, uh, for example, um, whenever we take in fluoride, in, in an attempt to deal with fluoride, it puts fluoride in the bones to get it away from soft tissue. Uh, 
And in fact, the only soft tissue, uh, from what I can re- recall reading, that takes up uh, fluoride to any extent is the placenta, so that any little baby that is forming there is absolutely protected from from fluoride. But the other thing that I noticed was that whenever fluoride occurs in nature, it occurs in streams or in water in when water uh, systems. It occurs in hard water systems. Uh, very, very rare in soft water systems. And in the hard water systems, there are calcium, that's why we call it hard water, and calcium combines with fluoride to form calcium fluoride. And calcium fluoride is insoluble. So when we look at the laws of, of in chemistry, the, the, the rules, the general rule is that all fluorides are soluble except for calcium. Um, and I think magnesium too might be less soluble. But it's, it's interesting that the, the rule breaks and the fluorides become insoluble in the situations where fluoride is um, released in nature. And it seems in a way to minimise our exposure to, to fluoride. Now, some people might be saying, well, you know, you're drawing a bit of a long bow there, you know, it's a bit of a stretch. But I'm just giving one example of, of many, many examples where I found that they're in nature there was evidence in the way nutritional factors were arranged in nature, in the foods, the natural foods that were eat, were arranged there to provide, you know, maximum health. Now, a classic example is the the cereals, the um, you know the breakfast cereals. Now, in the you know um, the eighteen hundreds, they developed the uh, middle uh, separator that enabled the uh, bran and the germ to be separated from wheat flour and produce very, very white flour. And people, you know, raved over this. We can have white bread, we can have white flour. But of course now we're finding that the the bran is the factor that is really, you know, contains so much goodness of it contains a lot of the important uh, trace elements and uh, vitamins and um, also provides a lot of the food for the good type of bacteria. Matter of fact, as we've been studying the, the microbiome, we find that the bran in the cereals the, uh, is one of the most important factors in, in foods for promoting a healthy microbiome and hence um, our, our overall health. But what we did was because we didn't believe that these foods were designed with nutrition in in mind, we thought we could split them up. And, and of course, people, even today, um, well, it seems that white bread is one of the larger, uh, you know, uh, major forms of bread that are sold in, in Western countries as opposed to the, the wholemeal uh, breads or breads made from the, the whole flour, which has these nutritional factors that are actually important and play roles that we're only now discovering the importance of some of these other ingredients. And again, it's the same with the apple microbiome. Now, one of the interesting things that came out, I was thinking, well, where is the microbiome in the apple? Is it through the flesh or so forth? 
or, you know, where, where is it? I thought, well, there's probably some on the skin. And about 10% of the apple's microbiome is, is on its skin. And then the other uh, 90% of its microbiome is in the core. And I guess when you think about it, how the little apple forms, it forms from that little flower that is fertilised um, as the bee brings the pollen from the male part of the flower and brushes around, it falls into the, uh, the female part of the flower and that flower then grows into uh, the little apple. Now, when that is happening, of course... The, the bee also is carrying some bacteria with it and it's carrying it, you know, from a hive and so forth and it's picking up bacteria that is on the flowers and in the environment. And, of course, that bacteria then gets into the flower and as the little flower, as the apple forms from those little gamut cells in the flower and grows, so that bacteria is there in the, in the core area of the, of the apple. So I suppose that, again, the use of the sprays as the, um, the apple trees are sprayed, they're sprayed while uh, at the flowering time as, as well, then these chemicals get in and interfere and, and different bacteria uh, obviously get in into the apple at that time. And I suppose this is going to apply for many other fruits as well. The, the one that was studied at this time was, was apples. Um, to me, it uh, emphasises the important aspects of, of wherever we can trying to get organically grown vegetables. I, um, uh, my wife and I spent uh, some time living in Tasmania, which uh, used to be known as the Apple Isle, and we uh, lived in a little village which was surrounded by apple orchards, and we used to be able to go and glean in the orchards and um, and get the apples there. And I, I would eat a lot of apples. <laughs> um, but it was interesting, I, I developed um, a, a reaction to apples because the apples that we were buying back then, they were, they were virtually all sprayed apples. They were just conventionally grown apples. And it's interesting that I know today that I will get a, a little bit of a tummy ache from eating a conventional apple most times, whereas if we, we now buy the organic apples and I can eat and enjoy the organic apples. So, you know, I'm, I'm convinced there certainly is a, uh, a noticeable and a, a significant difference between the, the different uh, methods. And this reminds me again too that um, Sir Albert Howard, who was a professor of agriculture at the University of Oxford, back in the 30s and developed the concept of uh, compost gardening and he did a number of uh, experiments where he was very impressed to use compost and mulch rather than the inorganic fertilisers to, uh, to grow fruit trees and vegetables and to put as much compost or fibre back into the soil. And one of the things that um, he suggested was that when we composted the plants, that the, uh, the composts and so forth uh, promoted there were the growth of moulds and, and different other, um, I guess, bacteria as, as well would grow. And the plants themselves 
produced antibodies then to protect themselves from these moulds and fungis that were growing as part of the compost uh, around the bottom of the plant and in the soil. And the, these moulds and fungi are in the soil as well. And so the root systems have to protect themselves from attack from these fungi and, and moulds. And that those particular compounds also delivered a health benefit to us. And he actually did experiments in boarding schools where he uh, took some schools and provided the students with compost-grown vegetables through the wintertime and other schools with just the normal commercially um, fertilised vegetables. And he reported that there were a much lower incidence of colds and flus in the schools that were fed the the compost uh, vegetables. Um, You can read a lot of this in his book called An Agricultural Testament. Agricultural Testament. So just reading this paper recently about the apple microbiome reminded me of how our ecosystems are so complex and the naivety that, you know, evolutionists and the proponents of evolution um, push um, that, you know, we have this simple mechanical system that, that life evolved, whereas in actual fact when we look, on a, look at the system out there, it's so complex and interconnected. And it seems to me the more, that, uh, the closer that we can get to the way God created nature rather than using our technology to overpowering nature and changing nature to improve so-called efficiency and production rates and so forth, we will actually be closer to health. And, of course, the recognition that nature was designed by an amazing intelligent designer is, is crucial for this as opposed to you know, teaching evolution. Well, if evolution is you know, blind, natural random reaction, surely with our intelligence we can improve on it. Well, it seems we aren't. We're we're going the other way. It's interesting, a a book, I was reading a a review recently of a review by a a top biochemist by the name of uh, Matty Liasola. His name is spelt L-E-I-S-O-L-A. And the book is called Heretic. One Scientist's Journey from Darwin to Design. So that's heretic, One Scientist's Journey from Darwin to Design. And it's written by uh, Matty, M-A-T-T-I, Lesiola, L-E-I-S-O-L-A. And he was the Dean of Chemistry and Material Sciences at Helsinki University of Technology. Uh, Of course, Helsinki is the... um, capital of uh, Finland there, so he's at the leading university there. And he'd published a lot of papers, over 140 papers. He was an expert in enzymes and the effect of enzymes on sugars. And um, he was co-founder of the International Society of Rare Sugars. But he actually moved from um, believing in Darwin and evolution to believing in intelligent design and creation. And uh, one of the reasons uh, for this was that when he, he got involved in studying these enzymes and the complexity and the role that these enzymes, these 
very important and specific chemical molecules that control chemical reactions, um, and particularly in the uh, relationship to sugars. And of course, we think of sugar just as sucrose, but there are hundreds of different types of sugars in biological systems that play very important roles um, in switching on and off different things and uh, so forth. And as uh, he got into the complexity of this, he um, became a believer in um, intelligent design and then, of course, in, in, in creation, became a... Um, a creation, so it's very, a very uh, in- interesting uh, book uh, to um, uh, to read. One of the uh, things that um, he points out is that uh, you know for years that scientists had claimed that there was all this evidence for evolution, and yet he he cites um, in one part of his book a new scientist report that came out in two. Um, 008 uh, that reported uh, Richard Lenski's work on bacteria that they appeared to develop and evolve a new mechanism and um, he pointed out that um, you know for uh, Leo Sola points out that for 150 years we've been repeatedly told that the grand powers of mutation and selection mechanisms have been proven beyond a shadow of doubt And yet here, in 2008, a prominent science journal, that was New Scientist, reports that a lab has uncovered the first evidence of evolution's ability to innovate in an impressive way. And he goes on, the implication shouldn't be missed. All the grand claims for evolution that came before this lacked empirical support. And that's an important fact that we make all these claims. And, of course, later it was shown that Richard Lenski's work wasn't actually new material at all. It was just duplication of a switching gene next to a gene that was dormant. So it was already there, dormant, and it was now switched on. It wasn't new code. And um, it's interesting, he does uh, calculations in his book showing that um, it's absolutely impossible statistically for the amazing amino acids that are found in nature and in these bacteria. These simple single-cell bacteria have amazing proteins in them that control and are part of the function of these bacteria that are part of our microbiome. And yet the chances of just one of the proteins that constitute these bacteria forming is in the area of the impossible. So there's this growing support now from every direction in science that we were created by an amazing designer, God, who is also our saviour, who came to earth as Jesus Christ, our saviour, to show us what God was like because everybody's turning so far away from God. God himself came here to show us how to live in person as a, as a last attempt um, to draw us back to him, the amazing creator. The Bible is an amazing book and nature is the other book that points to God too. You've been listening to Faith and Science. Remember, if you uh, just Google 3abnaustralia.org.au, click on the listen button, you can listen to these and, and other programs. 
And remember to tell your friends about this, these programs too. I'm Dr. John Ashton. Have a great day. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio. 